Welcome to Encounter Church. I know there's, you live in Florida. Uh, there's lots of things you can do on a beautiful day. This is why so many people come to Florida to retire. Um, beautiful weather. And there's, because of that, there's always something to do. I think Florida is the best state in, in the whole, of all the 50 states. And it's because one of the reasons is there's so much you can do. There's beaches, there's springs, there's rivers so you can canoe on and kayak. There's uh, beautiful parks that you can visit. But it's um, great to have you here at church so we can worship together. Because I think the time that we spend together here as a family makes all the other parts of the week so much better. And um, we're taking care of our heart health and our relationship with Jesus health. And um, it's, it's a, will be a blessing for you this week, I know. Every week I see more and more people here in the pews and in the, in the church, so that's great. It's time to come back. It's, it's good to see you come, come up close here. And uh, I know next week will be better and bigger, and we're continuing to grow. We're going to look, last week we looked at a story, we've been teaching, there's a couple pastors here. We, we appreciate Pastor James and his message this morning, but there's several pastors here at this church, and we've been teaching on a series called Marked. Called by the Savior. Or Mark, what does that mean? When you're a new creation, you've been born again. The old is gone and the new has come. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be new? So we looked at a story last week uh, of a woman, Ruth, and she used to be a, a Moabite, which meant she was a foreigner. She used to be a widow, she used to be hungry, she used to be lonely, but then God put her in the field of a man named Boaz, who was her redeemer. He paid for all her debt himself, and then as a free woman, he married her. And she's now in the family, and a new life has come. New language, new custom. She gets to speak a new way. She gets uh, respect and honor because of who her husband is, Boaz. It's, it's, so what does she have before? Not much. But what does she have now because of her relationship with Boaz? She has everything. She has access to all the promises of, of God's people. So what do, who are we, and what do we have, and what do we get to say? We'll probably answer some of those questions today. <laughs> I'm going to look at another story. Some of us can relate to the story of Ruth and Boaz because we understand a marriage relationship and how two married people share things and they share um, even 
their identity. Like uh, some older married couples, you can tell they dress the same. <laughs> they they look the same. They talk the same. And and the children, if they ask one parent something, the other parent is going to give them the same answer because they they think the same. Uh, some married couples have been together, so they know each other so well that they talk the same, they think the same. And so there's that, um, it's a good relation, it's a good picture of our relationship with Jesus. And he wants to be so united with us that we think the same, we talk the same, yeah. we look yes. the same. But maybe you're a single person and you don't, hard to relate to that example. There's a story today that I'd like to look at. It's a story of a young, of a young man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And uh, there's a relationship here, a father-son relationship that I, I think is unique and interesting. So the title of the message for this week, the title for the message this week is Extraordinary Love. And if you just want to underline or circle the word extraordinary, there is a natural, ordinary love, um, an affection that can come from feelings or it can come from um, being in a family, but there's also unusual love or extraordinary love. And... The source of love is always God. Um, so let me read this story. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Now this is an important question. I want to take just a minute for some background. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And as a shepherd boy, David had come to visit the Israelite army, and that's when David saw Goliath and killed Goliath when Saul was king. Well, that was an amazing miracle. That was an amazing act of faith. David marries King Saul's daughter. David gets welcomed into King Saul's house. And he becomes part of King Saul's army. Later, King Saul becomes jealous of David. He becomes jealous of his success, his popularity, and he throws a spear at David. Later, he musters his whole army up to go hunt for David, to capture him and to kill him. Instead of taking his army and actually fighting the real enemies, he looks for David, who was his, his ally, his son-in-law. Later, after King Saul has died in battle, the people of Israel invite David to become their king, the new king. And so he, he is crowned king. So one day, David, he's the new king of Israel, he's the second king now, 
He asked this question, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, I am, Ziba replied. And the king asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive and he is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. And he would say, don't be afraid, because probably Mephibosheth was afraid. See, the custom back then was if you were the new king that was crowned, you didn't want to have a rival if you made, if you made an unpopular decision or if there was... You didn't want a rival like the previous king's family to rise up and stir the hearts of the people and they, they would want them to be king again. So the custom was, and you can read it through, it happened in, in Israel. You would take the previous king's family and you would have them killed. So Mephibosheth knew what the custom was. And he knew how his grandfather Saul chose David as his enemy, tried to kill David. And so he's afraid of King David. And David says, I intend to show kindness to you. That doesn't make sense. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. People break their promises all the time. You're the king now. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me. And the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce the food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, so there was plenty of people to take care of the farm. 11, verse 11. Ziba replied, this, this is important. Yes, my Lord, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. From that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Meshulah's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. What's that mean to sit at the king's table every night, every day, every morning for breakfast? You have access to the king. You have a voice. You have influence with the king. Um, he takes care of you. He makes sure that you have the food that you need, the nutrition, the, your wellness. He's concerned about your health. He was crippled, and it, it doesn't say whether he ever walked again, but I'll bet he had the best doctor care um, that was available. It, there's a... There's a whole different relationship um, from being an enemy and from being a son, right? So our message this month has been, we're marked, we're called by the Savior. What do we call ourselves? Even when we were an enemy of God, he never looked at us that way. He's always looked at us as a child of God or a potential child of God, once we woke up and realized his great love and mercy. Let's look at some other verses here. What do you do with the family of your predecessor, your enemy? Well, David did something radical. He adopted him. He loved him. He invited Mephibosheth to sit at his table. Um, David was the one who wrote the 23rd Psalm and where he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because maybe you're just inviting your enemy to sit at the table with you. Maybe you're inviting your enemy to enjoy in the, in the blessings that God has blessed you with. And then he'll realize that he's not really your enemy. He's your brother. Your enemy is just one affirmation away, one confession away from becoming a child of God like you are. Our enemy is one affirmation or one confession away from becoming our brother. They might not know it. We might not feel like it. But what is true is always true. Did Jesus act this way? I know Jesus knew the story of David. And if a man, as messed up as David was, he had some issues you can read about, can, can love his enemy and invite his enemy at his, to his own table. And Jesus said, the same extraordinary love is available to us. We can walk in this at all the time. We, we, it, we will speak to, our, to the people around us differently. And so let's, let me read what Jesus says. 
in Matthew 5. This is part of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You heard it said, it was, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. You speak blessings over them. You, you pray goodness for them. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Look for kind acts that you can do um, for your enemy. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. This is so important. God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He shows no distinction. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. It's undeserved. You don't, you don't have to earn rain or you don't have to work for sunshine. I think we get an extra blessing here in Florida. We get two, two scoops of sunshine. But it shines on us all. And his heart is for us all. People may uh, make designations and try to separate into groups, and, but it's always been God's plan to unite everything under one faith, one loving Father, caring for one family where we help each other, we bless each other, we lift each other up. And there's people that are there when someone needs comforting. There's people that are here when someone needs healing. There's people who are raised up in the church and in the family of God to meet the needs uh, financially of others who are needy. It's an extraordinary uh, type of love. Romans chapter 5. Paul wrote about this. God showed his great love for us. It's not just a normal love. It's a great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ... We will cert- he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Let me just share that in a different way. Jesus went out of his way to show great love and affection and when we were, quote, enemies of his, sinners. But he never saw us that way. He never saw the tax collectors as his enemies, but he ate with them. and He never saw um, the people around him as, as his enemies, but, but future family. And so he was willing to love with an extraordinary love.
what will he do now that we are children of God, now that we see ourselves as sitting at the table with God, if he loved us with an extreme love before we even knew him and before, in, in fact, when we were even antagonistic to him, will he do anything less now that we're sitting at his table, we're in his family, we worship him, we, we respect his, we listen to his words, we, we trust his guidance. How much does he love us now that we are sons of God? It's immeasurable. It's immeasurable, right? And that's one of the key words for us today. The resource, the access that we have is immeasurable. We have access to to love and to power and to faith and to gentleness and kindness that, that's immeasurable. Um, there's immeasurable amounts of peace that we have access to now that we're in the family of God. In the story, Mephibosheth became a receptacle, a receiver of all the kindness of King David. It was immeasurable. He didn't deserve it. It was unearned. It was unnatural. It was irrational. And it was also immeasurable. He, he needed a servant with 15 sons and 20 more servants. There was just to handle all the goodness and the the bounty, the, the property that was restored to him. John writes about this. We are sons of God now. Beloved, don't you realize we are sons, children of God now. Sons have constant and immediate access through the relationship. In the story of the prodigal son. The father had two sons, and at the end of the parable, the father speaks to the older son and says, listen, I'm always with you, but that's not all. Not am I always with you, but everything I have is yours. And so I, I am a literal person, and I say, God, I want to hold what you've given me. I, I want to see it in my hands. I want to hold it. You've promised it, so we'll start. I believe you, what you say. You've promised that I have an inheritance or I have, that you have given me something. And so I need some cash. And he has given us the ability to make money, to earn money. He's given the ability for me to go to work 
and to earn some money. And he's also given me good relationships with other people that I can borrow from. <laughs> or they might bless me with a gift. There's many ways where he can get physical cash to you. All right. But there's other things. How much um, is your health worth? People would pay a lot of money to get their health restored. And through, through God's promises and God's word, he wants us to be healthy and to live a blessed and abundant life. And so there's, there's things that he's going to get to you that will bless your health. And his power, his miracle power is working in you and around you to, to bless you with a healthy life for as long as you want to live. Some people would pay for peace. And we see how valuable that is. In Jesus, there's an immeasurable supply of peace. It's who he is. He can't be unpeaceful. It's not his character. And so he is able to teach us what it means, how to keep it. It's a strong peace that will drive out confusion and evil. It's a peace that will guard you, guard your heart. It's a peace that will help you see things the right way. And you'll step forward in strength and calmness instead of um, in anxiety. He wants us to stand in peace and walk in peace. So there's these invisible gifts, blessings, as part of who his character is that we inherit and we get to live with and walk with and talk with. I make a mistake if I say I don't have it. I don't have gentleness. Even if you have a mustard seed, it can begin to grow into a great blessing of gentleness. And you'll see how powerful a gentle word is over a criticizing word. A gentle or kind word can have so much more of an impact than a, uh, a snapping uh, retort. So there's great and powerful and immeasurable gifts that God has blessed us with. It's a lifestyle of, of heaven here on earth. Um, that we get to have access to. So now, I want to read through Ephesians. Because his love is described in Ephesians 2 this way. God being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, 
He's rich in mercy. He's great in love and has wonderful love. Even when we were dead and separated from him, because of our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment forever. And he raised us up together with him when we believed. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. Talking about heavenly things, having a heavenly experience, um, beginning to practice and understand what the heavenly language is like and what what it means to um, walk in all the blessings of heaven. And he did this so that in ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable, the unsurpassed riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul writes that his grace is not just a a comfort and a pat on the back. It's immeasurable and unsurpassed. It's not a sloppy agape. It's marked, it's a compassion and a love marked by rescue. He will fight for you and fight to pull you out of the circumstances that you're in if you need it. He risks himself for your sake. He perseveres with you and for you. If it takes time, he's with you, persevering to get you out. It's not a pat on the back. It's it's a commitment, and it's filled with strength. It's a, it's a strong love. It's unnatural. It's not based on feelings, that God has good feelings for you, which I, he does. It's not based on feelings. It's based on faith. It's based on re- commitment and relationship. And he will always be with you and for you and on your side. It is by God's grace, his remarkable compassion and favor, drawing you to Christ that you have been saved. It's an undeserved gift of God. Uh, The message translation says it this way. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. And now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and in the next to shower his grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving was all his idea, and saving is all his work. So what do I have to do? Trust him. Receive it. Believe it in my heart and say it, confess it with my mouth. Believe that Jesus did what he said he did. He can do what he said he can do. And he has done what he said he has done. It's finished. And I can do what he says I can do. And I have 
what he says I have. I have access to all the immeasurable gifts of heaven. I have a relationship with God the Father that's intimate and personal. And I can say what he says I can say. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3 says it this way. I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret behind the scenes all along. So this is the message translation that I'm reading. Paul writes, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. What's the secret? It's, it's not really a secret any longer, is it? It's the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Everything that he has, he shares with us. And so Jesus went and healed lepers and and helped the blind to see and the lame to walk. And then he shared everything he had with his disciples. And Peter and John and Philip and the other disciples go out and they begin to heal the lame and heal the blind can see. And even their shadows would heal people. How did they receive the power, the extraordinary miracle power from Jesus. He spoke it over them, and they believed. How do we receive it? He spoke it over you already. He loves you with an incredible love. He loves us with an immeasurable, uh, extraordinary amount of love and grace and goodness, and it comes with power. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father who parcels out all of heaven and earth. And Paul prays, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not with a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, an inner confidence and that Paul writes, you, I, w- I want you to be able to boldly approach the throne. Our king, our heavenly father, he sits on the throne in heaven and we get to boldly approach him because we're in the family. Uh, President Abraham used to have his children in the White House crawling around while they were talking about um, the business of the presidency. And I kind of see that, picture it that way, that we get to, crawl around the throne, climb up, and sit with Jesus because of the access that we have to him. So he's always meant for us to be confident in his presence, to be calm in his presence, to be joyful, uh, to be um, feel his extraordinary love. 
So being a new creation is marked by the extraordinary love that God the Father has for us. And it wrecks us and it changes us and we can never be the same once we know that we are, how much we are loved by God. All right, I'm, I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 1. This word, immeasurable, it's mentioned six times in the Bible and uh, three times in Ephesians. And I, out of the whole Bible, half the t- amount of times it's recorded in Ephesians because, and it was in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Paul is trying to get this idea across that we can't ever understand how this, uh, put this love in a box. It's immeasurable. The access that we have to God's love, it doesn't make sense that an enemy is invited to sit at the king's table and, and be blessed with all the privileges of sonship and, and being but this is what if Paul writes in Ephesians. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spirit, every means every. In the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy so I got to call myself what he calls me. Without fault, I feel like I have faults, but he's teaching me to walk in a, in a new way, in a perfect way. He's teaching me to know what holiness even is. We can't learn holiness without the Holy One teaching us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gives him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, his only begotten son. And he forgave all of our sins, even the, the ones I might do five years from now. It doesn't matter. He showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and all understanding. Look at, we got more gifts. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which was to fill his own good plan. I'm glad that it's a planned event. It's not an accident. That God was very intentional and put things in place. This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth and furthermore because we are united with Christ we receive an inheritance from God 
chose us in advance. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. And God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. But now you Gentiles have also heard the truth and the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And this spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he has promised that he has purchased for his people. So I praise God for his who we are, who he has made us, what his plan was. I praise him for he didn't just adopt us and then leave us with no power, no authority no uh, he's equipped us with the heaven lifestyle heaven's custom where we can be a blessing to others and share the truth of who God is and what he has done for us